And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall joined us all as my guy, the serial killer, Chris McCormick. Chris, what's good? Jay Wall, what's happening, buddy? Back in Scottsdale, not in the uh, the frozen tundra that is, or that was, uh, Orlando, Florida for the PGA show. So happy to be home. Yeah, you know, I I was kind of curious to to see what the what the feedback would be from people that were at the show. You I mean you talked about it? It was busier than you thought. I I heard the same. I heard there were there were actually people there in Orlando looking at at gear and and talking about apparel. So, I mean, I guess all things considered, got to consider it a success? Question mark. Uh, I mean, I think it was beneficial for us. We were we were out at demo day, freezing and entertaining the masses and. There was quite a bit of interest in our demo program and our uh, our mobile unit, and potentially uh, made some new contacts for for mobile venues to host us. And yeah, I think it was a win for us to be there for sure. You're always busy. Uh, you were also busy this week. I want to definitely get into that. You were you're busy working with a uh, a recent major winner. Can we just tease it like that? We we can do that. On his gear. Yeah, we can say uh, yeah. we can say a recent major winner. We were we were doing a little tinkering and testing some drivers and fairway woods with all the new 2022 <laughs> toys. I'm going to say I'm laughing because it was literally everything. You sent me some some pictures via text, and it was just golf clubs everywhere. Like like 2022 literally threw up all over his golf bag. They were it was all the new product strewn all about. It was uh it was it was I like that. I I thought it was like a good kind of peek into what it's like bidding with the tour pro it was a lot so. of fun i mean i i always appreciate working with those guys and, and giving them an opportunity to to see something different just by making some equipment changes for sure yeah so gene is not on the pod this week he has a good excuse for not being here his dad who's 82 who's from the bay area he talked about him a little bit in the intro pod we did a couple months ago with gene and his dad used to shuttle um members at the club that he was at out to Cyprus to play. And so he knows that area of California very well. So Gene and his brother are out with his dad at Pebble this week and they're out for the practice rounds and they're going to be out there on Thursday. And I just think that's so awesome that just, just the opportunity to spend that time with, with a family member, be it a dad or a mom or, or whoever, you know, that's, that's valuable time. So good to see Gene taking a little bit of a break because I know this time of the year he's really busy. Absolutely. And I mean, what better place would you want to spend some time with family than, than Pebble Beach and Pebble Pebble Beach? I mean, tough to uh, tough to beat that venue, especially with uh, with the buzz and excitement of the AT&T out there and all of the, the who's who in the golf world. Be a good time. Do you do you enjoy watching that tournament, Pebble Beach? I do. I uh, when I was doing some work on tour, I, I had an opportunity to to go to that event every year. And it was, it was always a nice event to go to. I mean, I, I really like the West coast swing. So being out of Torrey coming up to Pebble and then coming home to, uh, to Scottsdale and doing the TPC event, which is always kind of a, uh, a madhouse, wild, crazy party in the middle of a golf tournament. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is one of my favorite stretches as well, but I, I mean, Pebble for me, I love, I love the scenery it's it's one of the most famous spots or pieces of property on the planet. I can't watch the tournament. It's excruciating. Can't do it. Like watching the, watching the celebs. There's, I mean, it, there's commercials aplenty every week for a tour event, but this one's just like it, it kills me. It's just lots of lots of shots of 
of the celebs out there, you know, spraying the ball all over the place. A couple, you know, shots of the guys at the top of the leaderboard. And then, you know, by Sunday afternoon, you, you start to get more of the of the real golf. But yeah, I, I can't watch it. Sorry. Sorry, Pebble. I I found myself following Bill Murray. I when I would go out to the event. Along with everybody else. Was, yeah. Everybody it else was, is following Bill it Murray. It was let's follow Bill Murray. As you never, <laughs> never knew what he was going to do on the golf course and the the gallery entertainment that he would provide. I mean, it was just second to none. Yeah. No, Bill, Bill Murray's got to be a good one to go follow. Um, anyway, Pebble's a good week for those that watch it. It, I will say this: it's it's a good one to take a nap. I, I've, I've fallen asleep plenty of times watching watching Pebble on the weekend. So I'll take the best maybe I'll do it again so. if I need a nap. Oof, man, so do I. Best and naps. it's with with the winter with the winter weather that's coming through Texas. Um, there's not a re- there's not really much of a need to to go anywhere this weekend anyway. So maybe some uh, afternoon naps while watching golf. I I would not hate that. So we're coming from Tory, going to Pebble. Did you get a chance to check out any of the coverage last week from Tory? I, I got to watch a little bit down in Florida. I mean, PGA show was busy, so not a lot of opportunity. Uh, I did get to watch some of the final round on Sunday. I got to watch maybe 45 minutes to an hour on Saturday. There was, there was some good golf being played. It was, uh, it was no, no stranger to, uh, to drama coming down the stretch there on Saturday going into Sunday. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, the fact that they ended it, I actually really liked this format, starting it on a Wednesday, ending it on a Saturday, just to avoid championship Sunday in the NFL. I mean, you don't want to go head to head. We've talked about that before. I like this. And I honestly, I would be totally fine with the tour during the early stretch of the year until until the Super Bowl's over. Do Wednesday to Sun do Wednesday to Saturday. I like the idea. I know I said yeah, yeah, Saturday, Sunday, my days are messed up. Well, I mean, you just, yeah, it's because, you know, we're so conditioned to Thursday to Sunday, but yeah, I, yep. I loved it. I mean, it was, I talked about it last week. I loved the fact that it was just two practice round days. You know, it's one less day to get work in, but I thought there was a ton going on last week from, from a gear perspective. We'll get into a little bit of that. And again, you just, you don't have to fight the NFL on Sunday. I, I think it's great, you know, numbers this time of the year anyway, which is kind of sad because the venues are so awesome. Tory Pebble, you know, TPC Scottsdale, Riv. I mean, there's a lot of good golf on the West Coast, but the numbers just are never quite there. So why not move it up a day and maybe try and capture a little bit more of the some eyeballs on the TV? So the reason I bring up Tory was because did you see the putt that Will Zalatoris missed? Oh, yes. That one that just yes. looked like it snapped hard left. The one that, that set up the playoff. So Gene reached out to me this week and he told me something that was interesting. So he's done some testing on putters. And he said that they found that for every half inch you go from the center mark on the putter, on a 10-foot putt, if you go a little bit, you know, half an inch towards the toe side, it's gonna your ball's gonna break anywhere between two to three inches off your intended line. Interesting. So so heel putts, he was saying, tend to break to the left. And then toe putts are going to tend to break to the right, depending on how far you know beyond that half inch you're getting out. The reason I also bring this up is because did you see the impact location for Zalatoris's putt? Yes. Very much on the toe side. And I knew I know he's not 
been known as a great pressure putter. I mean, he's missed some, he's had some pretty yippy putts, I would say. I don't want to use uh, the full term for that one, but they were yippy. They were a bit yippy. It yeah. Was, we'll yeah, say that. They, they were. But anyway, I I thought I found that very interesting. So for every half inch heel or toe, you're gonna you're gonna miss it about two to three inches offline. So, you know, again, it just kind of goes to show you why it's so important to to hit it out of the center. Now, different putters are gonna are gonna, you know, maybe allow you to get away with missing it out of the center sure. a little bit more. Um, you know, we've now seen a lot of these high stability mallets um no we haven't seen blades i mean you look at like trihot 5k from odyssey i mean they've got those tungsten weights in in the head i know they're positioned a little bit more forward to kind of help with the roll but you know it kind of helps bump up the moi to give it more of like a mallet stability so there are ways to to help try and mitigate that but again if you're using like a traditional blade you know i'm, I'm talking more like what tiger and speed use sure you know more you know half an inch outside of center heel and toe you're going to start to see the the ball wiggle out a little bit on you. So anyway, I thought I thought that insight from Gene was was something that was worth sharing. Oh, it's I mean it's definitely interesting. It just puts a premium really on quality of strike and quality of ball striking and consistency of results that are attributed to that. And I mean to again have backed up data that confirms what it is that we kind of teach, what it is that we say, what it is that we communicate to clients and customers when it comes to forgiveness and performance attributes of particular products. I mean, there's some things, not necessarily putters, but there are some things that perform better on a toe strike versus a heel strike and vice versa. So, I mean, having somebody like Gene and having foresight data, having robot data to back up some of those claims, it's it's always nice to have the, the data to validate what we say. Yeah, for sure. Now, the interesting thing that Gene said about the data is that he's found that on occasion, some putters will actually have the reverse gear effect. So, you know, if you're going to go heel side, it's actually going to break to the right. Toe side, it'll break left. And Gene's like, I can't give you any sort of like rhyme or reason for why some of these have different gear effect than what they've seen commonly. But bottom line, I mean, just, just work on consistency. You know, I know there are times if you've got like a downhiller, you want to just deaden it right off the toe, right? Just to try and get it to to stop and trundle towards the hole. But try and try and be more consistent in your contact. I feel like we as golfers are just so fixated, and I want to talk a little bit about this. Just some things I saw in John Rom's bag last week, but we get so fixated on like lining up the putt, so we're going flange to you know, the line on our golf ball and trying to, to get in that, you know, it's important trying to match up line and speed, but sometimes it's way more important just to get consistent contact. Oh, than 100%. It is to, you know, to really try and hit that line and hit that speed. So again, the numbers back it up. We saw it from Zalatoris. Um, I know that he's like, what the hell's going on here? But, you know, you miss it out there on the toe. I mean, that was at least half an inch, I at, would say. At least. So, at least. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> at least I, I will kind. say that it was not the most solidly struck putt I've ever seen from a tour player. It's a very nice thing to say, Chris. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think, I think Willie Z would, would appreciate that. All right. So other things that I saw last week that I wanted to point out, um, just kind of the usual gear rundown from Tori. 
We've got Dustin Johnson making his first start of the season. He gets into the new TaylorMade Stealth Plus driver. I had a chance to talk to DJ. He's in his usual 10 and a half degree head. But one of the things that he said that he really liked about this driver, uh, one of the concerns that he had was the one that all golfers had. He said, you know, I, I was really concerned about how it was going to sound. You know, he's you're going from a titanium construction face to carbon fiber. How's it going to sound? And he said, man, it just sounds so good. You know, the first time I hit it, He's like, it's just, it, it sounds like what you would think a titanium driver would sound like. And he said, you know, it's giving me that feedback. So when I miss it off the heel or the toe, I know that I've mishit it. Um, ball speed numbers, he said, across the entire face, not out of the center, because that doesn't really matter. You can't really do much with, with you know, CT and, and a lot of that going out of the center. But you can also, you know, bump up the ball speed on the other sides and, and try and help with that miss hit protection. He said he saw a lot of, a lot more ball speed on those miss hits. So it's helped, you know, if you're hitting it, you know, 295 out of the center, maybe if you miss it heel or toe, maybe you're hitting it, you know, 290, 288, you know, something that's still playable and, and gives you a usual number into the hole from there. So yeah, DJ, like the driver, he's in. Again, I've, I've been hearing this from a lot of golfers, a, man, and I'm not surprised. A lot of golfers have reached out to me saying, man, the TaylorMade Stealth is a really good driver. Um, some saying that they're seeing anywhere between four to six miles an hour increase in ball speed. And these are guys that are on the payroll with TaylorMade. These are just random guys that are reaching out to me, sending me pictures of their stealth driver, telling me all about their recent fitting session. I mean, it's it, but it's like backing it up. I'm hearing that from a lot of golfers that they're seeing more speed. Have you been getting any sort of feedback, Chris, from, from guys that are testing out stealth? I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting when it comes to stealth. <clears throat> so the, the speed claim is, is real. So doing some testing independently in the, uh, in the studio outdoors with some of our tour guys and our top level amateurs. I mean, the, the carbon wood is, it's kind of validating itself when it comes to the acoustics. I mean, it, it sounds great, sounds good and solid. I mean, as far as longevity of the face goes to be determined, we'll see how it, it kind of holds up to some of those speeds and what the, uh, what the wear patterns look like on it. But I mean, coming out of the gate in the, in the fitting environment, I mean, there'll be guys that, like you said, pick up two, three, four miles an hour of ball speed and the sustainability of that speed across the face has been pretty impressive, specifically on that, uh, that low shot. So the low shot, we're not seeing the, the super high spin numbers that we had seen out of some of the previous generations. And I mean, the, the heel shot has improved over sim in my opinion, but the, uh, Oh, by far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, that was a big downfall that we saw with, with the sim and the sim two product was, uh, incorporating twist face and that high toe strike location. It was, it was almost unbeatable. But then when you would kind of migrate around the face and get into that heel section, specifically low heel, that was a, uh, a very, very tough portion of the face for that driver to be successful. And next evolution here with carbon wood and the, the Stealth and Stealth Plus product, we have seen them address that issue. And I mean, the spin numbers are more consistent. The ball speed numbers are more consistent. So definitely a better performer on a broader hitting area of the face for sure. Yeah. For sure. And, and again, I, I think that's what golfers really want is they, they want to be able to get similar carry numbers 
on those mishit locations. As you mentioned, low on the face is such a common miss for so many golfers. Um, you know, and I, I just from hearing a lot of pros and again, I, you know, pros are always tough because they aren't a lot like us, but as you mentioned, like just spin consistency is one of the things that they've been seeing. I know Rory was a guy who, who really wanted to, he's been able to work the golf ball a lot more with this driver than the Sim 2 and the Sim. And he was even noticing really tight spin numbers, kind of that 21 to 2400 range, nothing that was getting too squirrely on him. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what you want from, from these drivers is something that, you know, obviously you're going to be able to get similar numbers regardless of where you hit it on the face, but also keep those spin numbers really tight. And if you do that, you're going to, you know, even when you're missing it, you're going to still have a pretty consistent ball going out there. And, um, yeah, but by, by far the big, the biggest thing for, for a guy like DJ, when he's talking sound and feel, I mean, if you, if you've got the pros on board with that, and I know some of these guys are, I say some, you know, Rory and DJ in particular are on the payroll for TaylorMade, but sure. you know, they're not going to put, they're not going to put a new driver in play unless it's working. You know, we saw DJ struggle with, with Sim 2 and trying to figure that out. And Colin Morikawa was the same way he played Sim. So, you know, they're going to give the manufacturer a chance and, and give that new product a chance. But at the end of the day, if it's not working, they're playing for too much money every week. They're not going to keep trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. No, absolutely so if, not. If, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and again, still early in the season, we'll see, we'll see how guys like DJ and Rory do with the driver. But so far it seems to be a lot of positives and a lot of things that we're seeing from the recreational golfers as well. Um, other stuff I wanted to point out was DJ, uh, other than DJ Bryson with a driver, you know, I feel like, feel like this is like Groundhog Day. He's having, he's going back. He's back to the old Cobra LTD driver. There was talk last week, you know, he was testing out a, a new Cobra LTDX. The standard head he was, he opened the season in, in Kapalua with the LS head, the low spin version. He used the standard head, at least for testing purposes, and he didn't put it in play. But one of the things I thought was interesting was I did talk to Ben Showman from Cobra. And he said that the CG location on the standard head is actually very similar to what is going on with the LTD head. So there's maybe a better chance of Bryson eventually getting into the LTDX standard versus the LS. But, you know, he's just... He's he's still trying to figure it out. He and Cobra are still trying to figure it out. Let's let's put it that way. I know I know he he had some choice words last year for for Cobra and and they kind of smoothed those things over. But he just can't quite figure it out, man. I don't I don't know what it is. I know driver's tough. He's trying to do things with the driver. And, and I, I wrote a story about this last year after he, he talked all about how you know the driver wasn't very good. And you know he's trying to turn that driver over at just some crazy fast speed. And when you're, when you're trying to do it at the speeds he's going, you know, scientifically it's, it's difficult, if not damn near impossible to turn the golf ball over. I mean, he would almost be better off learning how to just hit a stock fade oh, 100%. And, and just, just leave it at that. But, you know, Bryson wants to, to do things differently. I get that. And so he's trying to, he's trying to find a driver that allows him to turn it over it's it's gonna it's gonna be tough. So I, I think this is a story we're gonna be talking about again this year. More more Bryson driver talk. Well, it's it's interesting from an engineering perspective too, because I mean, you look at most of the R and D departments 
in the OEMs. And I mean, the speeds at which they test the products aren't the speeds that Bryson's putting up on the golf course with the product. So it's as they're going through their R and D and they're going through testing and they're going through development and, you know, they're testing at 115, 120 miles an hour and developing these products to sustain those types of speeds. And then you have somebody that's exceeding those regularly and you know, hitting a variety of different types of shots and expecting the golf ball to react a certain way when he hits that shot. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's bound to uh, put us in a uh, environment that's going to cause a little bit of conflict there. I mean, he's, yeah, for sure. He's rubbing against the grain what the, uh, the engineers had essentially first tried to do when they were building the product. Yeah. I mean, these, these are, these are some of the smartest guys in the industry. I mean, Tom Olsovsky and his, and his team at Cobra. I mean, those, those, those dudes are, are literally some of the smartest guys in the industry. I know, I know a lot of the, the engineers and, and the guys designing the golf clubs are very smart in R and D, but but T.O. is is like one of the smartest. So oh, he's a mad you know, scientist. <laughs> he's responsible he, for he so many things that we just consider kind of benchmark tech in the in the industry. And when you're looking at yeah. inverted cone and variable face and movable weight, adjustable heads, like that's T.O. Yeah, it is. So if, if, if T.O. is still trying to figure it out, and they haven't quite gotten it, that recipe just right. You know, it's you know, it's not something they can just go out and do. Right. Um, anyway, so there we go. There's there's your your weekly Bryson update. Other changes that I found uh, somewhat interesting. We had Luke List, the winner at the Farmers Insurance Open. We talk about Willie Z, but there a guy actually won it. It wasn't Willie Z. It was Luke List. He had three new Vokey SM9 wedges in the bag. So Vokey gets another win right out of the gates. We had Aaron Dill on last week to talk about the new SM9 and, and the design process behind that, if you want to go check that out. And then we also had Justin Thomas and Max Homa going into the new Titleist T100 4-iron. I found this one pretty interesting, Chris. Um, JT, not so much because he was already in a T100 4-iron and he pretty much just found the aesthetics to be better. And the launch was just a little bit better on the new T100 for him. So he just went into the new version pretty easily. But I did talk to, to JJ Van Wesenbeck from Titleist. And he told me that he was working with Max Homa out at TPI. Because Oceanside, where TPI is located, is just a stone's throw from Tory. So some of the guys go there to just get some work done behind the scenes. And Max was using a 620 MB4 iron. And you don't see a whole lot of guys using like true muscle back four irons anymore. Oh. Like most guys are in like, even like going into the five, five, four iron, you're, you're probably into something with a bit more forgiveness. And um, title says things a little bit differently. And I, I kind of find this interesting. They, they have a system where they will go through the bag and it's kind of like red, yellow, green. And they're able to, to based on like looking at shot link and um, data, you know, proximity to the hole and fairways hit and things like that. They're able to tell you sort of, where you might have a problem area in the bag. We could call it a rat in the bag. Call and it a rat in the bag. <laughs> call it a rat in the bag. Why not? And so what they found out was, you know, hey, maybe you want to try something with a little bit more forgiveness, bud, in the four iron. So uh, JJ had Max try and hit a downhiller at TPI with a four iron, and Max couldn't do it. And so he's like, here, try the T100. 
and T100 was like perfect. And he's like, man, if I can hit this shot with a four iron, like little, little downhiller, um, you know, that's that for me, if, if I'm in that position, I want to have a club that I can, that I can execute that shot. So Max throws in the bag. He actually tried the S version, which is a little bit spicier, shall we say, compared to the 100. A little stronger loft. A little bit stronger. Yep. It just, it just was, it went too far. So that's why they were able to put him in that T100. They actually weakened the uh, the head by one degree to try and get that optimized that peak height for for Max with the four iron. And from that point forward, it's in the bag. T100 has been a great product. I tested it. It's it's. I mean, man, for a club that looks with a, like that little offset and that thin of a top line, it's it's got some forgiveness in it. I was really impressed. Um, even the, the S, you know, the, the, with the old S, it was basically just, you know, loft, I'm, I'm, I hate calling it loft jacking, but they strengthen the lofts to try and get more distance. Well, with, with this one, I actually was seeing very similar launch angles between the S and the standard T100. It, but the, like down range, like the ball was just going with the S and I was about a club longer with the S version but I wasn't, I wasn't getting that, you know, that and I look, I would totally take a, a crazy penetrating launch angle. I, I hit moon balls all day long. And a lot of it is not the gear. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the operator. It's operator error. But T100S is, is, a, is a great iron. So I would, I would definitely take a look at that one. T100 again, it, some golfers would probably go, man, really T100 at the top of a set? Um, I would almost play that as a full set, but you know, Max Home is a great ball striker in his own right. He's played blades forever and he was just looking for a touch more forgiveness in that forearm. So that's where the, the T100 comes into play. No, I think you're going to see just a continuing trend of more and more set compositions where there is a little bit of break specifically in that three, four, five iron type of category. Something that's got a little more perimeter weighting, uh, multi-material construction, something that just as a little more stable, hits the ball higher, not necessarily as workable. I mean, you look at a set composition, and for most of us out there, you know, tour players included, when they get outside of that 150, 160, even for some players, 170, it just gets to the point to where let's just try and get it on the surface. We're not necessarily pen hunting at that point. So if you have an opportunity to hit something high and straight with a stable, predictable ball flight, I'm going to take that all day. For sure. Definitely. All right. So I'm, I'm going to have you talk about your experience working with, with a, a recent major winner. Before we do, I wanted to highlight a story that's up on golf.com. I had a chance to do some in-hand photos of John Rahm's bag and found some pretty interesting things. If you want to check it out on golf.com, I, th- I figured I'd just run through it for maybe those that, that don't go to the website as often. Maybe the way you get your gear news is by listening to the podcast. Seven things is, is kind of the way that I, they, I titled it. And these were, these were things that just kind of stood out to me from, from Rom's setup. One of them, number one, he still has that Aldo Latour green 75 TX driver shaft. He's had it since he turned pro. It's, a you know shaft that you're not going to see him change. I talked to Jacob Davidson from Callaway, and he actually said it makes things easier. And I'm sure Chris, you could probably speak to this as a fitter. He's like, look, when you can eliminate variables, um, things that that you you would definitely have to consider during a fitting. If you already know that like this is the shaft we're going, it's a great shaft. He loves it. 
Let's try and build a head around it that accentuates what he likes about this shaft. It can certainly make the situation a lot easier. Agree or disagree? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So other stuff that stuck out to me, he plays a very neutral setup. I would just call it stock in his Cali Rogue ST Triple Diamond LS driver. That's the the driver. It's basically the Rogue ST version of the driver he used last season. And it's just a stock setup. He uses his 10 and a half degrees. He's looking for high launch, low spin, and he doesn't adjust the the loft sleeve at all. Which, you know, again, we we've seen DJ before to hit that stock fade. He'll take a 10 and a half degree to head and he'll crank it down. Uh, with John, he's he's as stock as it comes. So, I mean, literally, you could go to your local golf store, buy a Rogue ST Triple Diamond LS driver in 10 and a half degrees. Don't change the loft sleeve, and you've got John Rahm's driver. Sands the Aldola Tour Green 75 TX and maybe a US Open trophy or, you know, a world number one ranking. But okay. hey, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Just a couple minor <laughs> details. Yeah. Uh, other stuff that I picked up on, he's in the Apex TCB irons, but it's a cavity back iron. You know, I, again, I think golfers continue to think that pros just play blades. And, you know, because they've grown up watching Tiger dominate with a set of blades that, you know, surely golfers of that, of that caliber play muscle back blades as well. And John Rom does not. And I think there's just, again... As I jokingly said, if you know the if golf's top ranked player is happy using a set of cavity back irons, you have permission to do the same thing. Like the permission granted. Go get go get a, go get go get a little bit of forgiveness in your life. You're, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it. Get a little bit of ball speed. Have some fun. Don't don't try and don't try and be Tiger Woods out there. Go go get a cavity back blade. So um, this was a cool one, and this was one that I did not realize. So Rom. Going back to 2018 when he beat Tiger at the Ryder Cup, he talked about how he grew up idolizing Tiger, like a lot of you know guys around that age probably did. Well, I noticed that on his Odyssey White Hot OG Rossi S, he has a Odyssey version of Tiger's PP58 grip, just the real traditional pistol style grip. And it just got me thinking, like, man, that's like a total, that's like a total Tiger play. Like you know, every, the guys out there I know, they've seen Tiger's grip before on, on his putter. And they know that he's got that one. It's very traditional. It's a small rubber grip. It's, you know, it's more to kind of keep your hands a little bit more active in the stroke. It's not like the, you know, super stroke grips that you see out there that are meant to remove your wrists from the equation, use more of the bigger muscles and um, and rock back and forth. But yeah, it just was cool. I kind of, like I saw it and I'm like, man, that's that's got to be like, that's got to be a Tiger thing. Like, you, you're using the same grip as Tiger on his putter. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, the 60-degree wedge that he has in the bag, the Callaway Jaws, has one of the most aggressive leading edge reliefs that I've seen. Have you seen this, Chris? i got to send you a photo, man. Yeah, It's up on the website. It, it's super aggressive. And so they, when I say leading edge relief, meaning the leading edge, that edge of the club that's going to impact the ground at impact, they remove material from just behind that leading edge. And that's going to help with turf interaction. 
So for, especially on like, if you're squaring up the face, not trying to hit, you know, hit a flop or anything like that, it's going to really help with that interaction. And so Rom is, has found that adding in that, that little bit of a, an aggressive leading edge relief helps him when he's going through the turf, helps keep him from chunking it. So I thought, I thought that's like, again, tour pros, they get all the cool stuff and he's got, he's got like one of the most custom wedges out there. Other things, the white hot uh, OG Rossi S does not have a sight line to speak of. And it reminded me a lot of Jason day years ago. I was talking to him about going away from it and he just said it helped free him up. And I kind of felt like it was very Seve esque for, for Rom, you know, relying more on his feel and less on the line. So no line on the putter, you know, line on a golf ball could be fine, but you're just not trying to be so precise in how you're lining it up. And, um, again, you rarely see it. I posted some photos on Instagram over at fully equipped golf of, of Rom's putter. And a lot of people were like, man, I don't, how many guys use a putter without, without any line or a dot to speak of. And I'm like, it's not a whole lot. Most are, most have some sort of an alignment aid on their putter. And the, the last one was one that I know got a lot of people fired up. Rom has a very custom Callaway X Forge UT utility iron in the bag. It's 22 degrees. The X Forge UT is out there in the retail place, but if, as you can see up on the website, this version does not look like the retail version. And golfers, for whatever reason, we just want the stuff that's out on tour. But again, it's just a reminder, even though you can't get the exact same one as Rom, you also have to remember that he's the top ranked play, player in the world. So of course he's going to get the the most custom gear out yeah, there. This gets, one's got a little bit more, a little more preferential look. treatment. Yeah, for sure. It's got more of a blade look to it. Um, it's it's raw, which man, that that may be the one thing that golfers get on to me about more than anything else. Like, why can't I get those raw iron heads? Or what about what about that raw wedge? Oh man, that putter is rusting. There's something about rust and patina on a golf club head that makes golfers weak in the knees. I don't know what it is. But we just want we want those raw iron heads. We want the raw wedge. We want the putter that's going to start to to have a little bit of rust on it. I just I love it. But golfers, anytime I post a photo of something like that, that something that's non plated, they just go off. Especially when it's like a tour only product. Oh, absolutely! If it's tour only and it's raw, fin- oh, that's that's the secret sauce right there. Tour issue and it is. raw. <laughs> It is definitely the secret sauce. I don't think it does much. It's magic beans, in my opinion. But hey, we all want to use the the stuff we see out on tour. Um, speaking of tour, Chris, last couple of days, you've been working with a, a recent major winner on the gear. Yep, yep. I want to know what what was that experience like for you. And the second part to that is, I need you to give me five things that make working with a tour pro in a fitting different than working with an amateur. Gotcha. So to summarize the experience, I mean, anytime you have an opportunity to work with a a top level amateur or, uh, I mean, even a good collegiate player or somebody that plays professional golf for a living, it's, uh, it's always a fun experience. I mean, when they are coming to see a fitting professional or there's somebody like me, it's usually one of two scenarios. They are either 
wanting to test the newest gear that's out there just to see if there's anything that's better than what they currently have in their bag. Or uh, you do get that scenario where it's a, a 911 emergency, something has gone wrong, and now they need to fix it. And the easiest fix is to look outward to gear to solve the problem and not necessarily something that is going on with swing or uh, whatever the case may be. So then it becomes my job to find the, uh, the magic arrow to fix whatever it is that uh, any particular player might have going wrong. So it's, uh, it's fun. And I mean, those types of players are usually looking for something very specific when it comes to justifying a change in their bag. So when we first kind of start these fittings, it's, it's very important to just like with every client that I work with is to figure out what the objective is. Why are we here? What is it that we're looking for? Is there something going wrong that you don't particularly like to see out of current set of golf clubs or current club in the bag? You know, what is it we're trying to change if anything, or, do we want to keep the launch window? Do we want to keep the shot shape? Do we want to keep, you know, A, B, and C, and we're just looking for more speed if possible, more spin if possible, uh, eliminating one particular miss if possible. So those are kind of the, uh, the things that the tour player is looking for is either something radically different because they're seeing something they don't like, or they're looking to fine tune, or they're looking for just kind of a checkup to make sure that the new product that's coming out isn't necessarily leaving anything on the table for them. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, when, when, when you're testing that much gear, does, does, as a fitter, is that like overwhelming when, when you, when you're trying, when you've got a guy who's like, I want to test everything. I mean, do you, do you really test everything or as you go through, start going through product, do you start to say, Hey, based on kind of, you know, whether it's these numbers or maybe, you know, now that I'm kind of learning your preferences, maybe we can eliminate like this product from, from the testing session. We test everything and we check every box. So, so this guy's like a Charles Hal the third. So, so, so Chucky three sticks told us like very on, he may have been our very first interview on, on fully equipped. I think he was. And I talked to him and he, he mentioned how he tested the Titleist driver in every freaking setting, every setting, even if it was one that he didn't use, he just wanted to see if it actually did what it was supposed to do. Anyway, continue. But as I'm hearing you say this, I'm like, all right, here we go. We got another guy who wants to test it all. Well, I mean, the reason that I say that, so for example, like when we were doing some work yesterday, uh, he had one of the OEMs had sent him you know, five of the same head but had changed the internal weighting with hot melt just slightly to give it a, a little bit different look or a little bit different bias or change acoustics. So, I mean, we tested the same head essentially, uh, but with different internal weighting components and we might only hit two shots with it and then go, Nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. And then there's some where we might hit five or six and then go back to the previous iteration look at the numbers side by side and just go, mm, now, you know what, this one's close, but this one's slightly better. And like you had kind of talked about with, uh, with Rom, uh, we'd already had the shaft dialed in. So the shaft wasn't necessarily changing. There wasn't really any room for debate on making a shaft change because that particular profile that we were playing was exactly what he wanted to feel when it came to weight and, and just 
load and release through impact. So as we started making some changes with heads prior to testing, he brought everything in. We blueprinted everything. We knew where everything was when it came to the static weight, anything that needed to be changed. We made notes. And uh, I mean, I had a, uh, I had a little notebook with me and had all of my notes on the, the particular nuances of the head. So if this head was light, if this head was heavy, I brought some, uh, I brought some weights with me from different manufacturers to move some of the weight around where applicable and uh, do some fine tuning and tinkering as we, as we transition through some of the different manufacturers heads. And I mean, we spent probably and at this particular time, we were just validating irons wedges and driving iron and then looking for something new when it came to three wooden driver. So as we started, what do you doing, mean, what do you mean by validating? Just like, just putting it up there and just kind of seeing if the numbers matched up with, with what he was trying to achieve. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was, it was, he had numbers in his mind and we were testing with foresight and with TrackMan, and he owns both systems and wanted to, you know, basically figure out, okay, which one can I trust? Which one gives me the numbers that I want to see the fastest? So we had both systems set up. We were comparing not only, you know, golf clubs, but then we were also, hey, what does that say? What does this say? What does that say? What does this say? And looking at some of the data points, uh, launch monitor, launch monitor, which, you know, I thought was kind of cool as well, being a, a gear nerd. Uh, yeah. We've seen some tour pros. I, I have. I've seen some that have done that where they'll use, you know, they'll, they'll use TrackMan and, and Foresight GC Quad to, to kind of give them, I guess, I guess a fuller picture. Is that, is that kind of, a is that an accurate way to say it? I mean, I know, I know the, the track man and the foresight do a lot of things great, but you know, some people claim that, you know, foresight does some things a little bit better than track man and vice versa. And so that's why, you know, that's why some guys will use both to get that picture. Yeah. I mean, I would, for both units, I would say both units have, have pros and cons with them. And I mean, one thing that you have to understand is, so each unit is essentially different technology. So you have the, the TrackMan launch monitor system, which is a Doppler-based system, versus the Foresight Quad system, which is an optic-based system. So it's using cameras in place of Doppler. It's using infrared. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple of different things that are different when it comes to how those particular pieces of technology are tracking the, the different data points that they are tracking. So, I mean, when you're looking at Doppler and it is looking at ball flight and extrapolating some information based upon ball flight nuances, whereas, you know, an optic system is physically watching impact happen and watching separation happen and then coming to conclusions on ball flight based upon what it is that it saw optically. So there's you know, a couple of differences when it comes to how it measures and at what particular point in time it's measuring that particular information. So it is nice to, to have both of those systems sitting side by side and seeing, you know, where do they separate each other when it comes to just the accuracy of the data or what data is applied to you know, whatever it is that we might be looking at at that particular point in time, whether it be club data or ball data. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned uh, a word, and I'm sure some golfers out there maybe know it and others don't, but what you've, you've said blueprinting 
a set of clubs. What what does that what does that mean, and what what's the benefit of, of blueprinting? Sure. So, I mean, particularly when we get into any fitting environment, we want to have a baseline. So blueprinting is is just that. It's going through a player's current setup or what it is that we're going to be testing. So if a player brings in a variety of clubs like my tour player and he already has a sample of equipment that he wants to test, we go through and we'll blueprint and we will weigh and we will measure and we will you know, check loft and check lie and static weight and you know what the static loft is on basically everything that it is that we're going to test. We'll check CPM on shaft. We'll check swing weight versus static weight. And obviously the length of different products. So, I mean, he had uh, probably 12 to 15 different variations of the exact same shaft with some different weights, different tipping, different finish lengths, uh, different wraps underneath the same grip for different sizing. And just to kind of check boxes. And if there was a question, I mean, I did my best to try and answer it. And if there was suspicions about something, hey, why am I seeing this ball flight with this configuration? Helping talk through why it is we were seeing that particular result with that combination. And maybe it'd be the orientation of the shaft. It might be a little bit longer, not have necessarily as much tipping, might be seeing a little more deflection, a little more droop. And having the opportunity to blueprint everything and have, like I said, my little cheat sheet, my little reference guide as to, okay, this is one degree stronger, one degree weaker, two degrees flatter, one degree more upright. You know, we're seeing this be six grams heavier. This is three eighths of an inch longer, you know, whatever the case may be, that at least gives me an opportunity to offer some type of advice as to why we might be seeing some variable performance difference when to the naked eye, you wouldn't have any reason to, to understand why that's happening. Yeah. You're just, you're just doing your due diligence so that again, when, when a, when a tour pro, when a major winner asks you a question as he's testing his, his irons, you know, doing some, some valid validation work. Why is this doing that? Like you said, you can say, well, here's, here's how your, here's how your iron, your seven iron is constructed. And here's why it's, it's producing this sort of a shot. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's an important part too, because, you know, I, I think, I think about like when golfers come in for a fitting, you know, I don't, I don't really think that they're considering like, oh man, I should probably get my, my gamer set blueprinted so that my fitter knows what the hell's going on. Well, it, I mean, <laughs> instead it is of important. just simply, you know, doing head to head testing and being like, oh, well you gotta, what are you stock? All right, cool. Your, your stock, you know, stock length, stock shafts, like like know, know what that means. Like maybe there's something that sticks out to you. Maybe we've talked about it before. Maybe the, the build wasn't done properly. Maybe, maybe there's something there that that's an issue. So yeah, getting, getting all that checked out and, and having the fitter do that due diligence is, is important. Whether you're a pro or an amateur, I would say. I, I agree hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's always easier to identify where it is that we're trying to go when we have a starting point. So it's, it makes it a little bit more complicated. We can still get a good, get to a good result, but if a player shows up and doesn't have uh, their, their current gamers with them, they don't have that club that's causing them the problem. And we don't have an opportunity to blueprint that or to, to see, okay, is this, 
a static weight issue? Is it a swing weight issue? Did they take a driver that they used to absolutely love and then completely change the dynamic of that club by, by putting a 85 gram grip on it and effectively counterbalance it? You know, it might be right. something as quick and easy as saying, well, what changed? And, well, ever since I re-gripped it, you know, I just don't hit it very well. And then we go, oh, okay, well, let's go ahead and cut this off and put the uh, 60 gram grip back on there. Hey, look at that. You're hitting it good again. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you don't need a new club. Maybe you just need a new grip. So as you're doing the work with this tour pro, what are some things that an average golfer, a mid handicapper could learn or benefit from with the way that he goes about doing a fitting or the way that he, he goes about just, just testing in general. I mean, biggest takeaway for, for most of our amateurs needs to be the fact that just go in with an open mind and trust the process. So if you take two or three swings with a product and it's just not working, trust the fact that it's not necessarily the swing that that product might just not respond to the angles you create your strike location. And if your fitting professional is saying, you know, that's just not it. Don't waste the unnecessary time going, Oh, well, let me take one more shot. Let me take one more shot. Let me take one more shot. Cause I mean, essentially you, you paint yourself into a corner with making compensations just to make something try and work because of one bias or another. And that is one thing that I will say that uh, working with a lot of tour professionals, if it's not working in two or three swings, they have no problem just bailing out of it immediately and never hitting it or never giving it another thought. Yeah. Well, biases as we, as we saw during player testing, man, they, they can totally change a golfer's response to a club. If, if they, if they've loved the product in the past, even if maybe it's just, I mean, cause we, we know it as, as we're watching it, we've seen tons of golfers come through and hit product and a guy's just not hitting it as crisply as he did with another club, but it's the same brand that he's been playing for 10 years. Yep. And he's like, man, this feels really good. And I'm like, Hey bud, you're, you know, catching that off the toe a whole lot there. You sure that sounds good. You sure that that feel is, uh, is right in the area where you want it. And yeah, they just are like, ah, it's a great club. I love it. It's probably my favorite. Well, I mean, to, <laughs> to give you an you're idea. Like, Seriously? You want, to, you want to yell at them and shake them and be like, come on, man. Really? The one that you just hit here. I know you didn't like that brand before, but that iron was really good. Well, I mean, to validate that, my, my player yesterday, we, uh, we didn't deviate from club head speed by more than about a mile and a half an hour through over two and a half hours of hitting, hitting shots. And I mean, you think about that two and a half hours of just full swing with predominantly drivers and three woods. And the deviation was, was a mile and a half an hour or tighter. And we saw, and I mean, tour player, especially a major winner, they don't miss the center of the face by much or very often. But, we saw with the exact same shaft in every single head that we tested and within a half inch of finish length for every single combination that we tested. We saw a variance, uh, a delta per se, of 179 miles of ball speed, 179 miles an hour of ball speed up to 187 miles an hour of ball speed. I mean, that's huge. So that's a wide range. And we went from the, the final combination 
we landed on, we went from a, a three, uh, 309 average carry up to a 317 average carry. And it's pretty good for tour pro because they're usually optimized. So absolutely kind of additional carry is, is a good thing. And the, the final combination, we hit it on, on three different occasions. And the last occasion that we hit it, I mean, at this point in time, we did not see one ball go left. And we had probably hit 30 or more shots with it at that point. And he was trying to get it to turn over and, and hit it to the left because it's a miss that he did not want to see. And mm. out of all the testing, when we reached our final conclusion, he was trying to hit it left and physically had to shut the face like four degrees to get it to, to actually move left off target. So he was very happy with that the combination. That sounds like a driver. That's a, yeah, sounds like a driver that the Tour Pro wants for sure. Absolutely. So that one, uh, that one was, was absolutely no question about the conclusion and going in the bag immediately. Yeah. I guess the, the one other thing that stood out from when you were talking about just kind of the testing process is just the validation that he did with the irons and the wedges. Is that something that you recommend golfers when they're coming through and doing a fitting? Maybe they're working more at the top of the set. I mean, would you recommend just saying like, hey, I know we're working on drivers and fairways today, but maybe <coughs> bring along your wedges and irons just to make sure the numbers check out? Or is that just something that's more kind of geared for for the tour pro well i mean it's it's always good to to go up and do do a checkup you know at least once or twice a year do a checkup so i mean at true spec we refer to it as a gap fitting so it's an opportunity for us to to do the blueprint on the set and make a determination hey is there anything going on with the six iron seven iron seven iron eight iron you know maybe we see something that is a little bit of a discrepancy there's you know, a, a degree or more of loft variation based upon where it was when it was originally bent. Um, I mean, maybe occasionally we'll see a, uh, we'll see a set of clubs come through where, you know, you might have a lie angle issue in the top of the set or the bottom of the set or the middle of the set where, you know, lie angles start to duplicate a little bit. You know what? Yeah. I, I just noticed that I missed that seven iron, you know, left of everything else or vice versa. You know, I just start that a little right at target line and it, it moves right off of my intended target. And I don't have that with any other club in my bag. And then lo and behold, Hey, this particular club is you know, a little off compared to the rest of the set might just be something as simple as, yeah, we need to bump the line glove off a little bit, or occasionally yeah. we'll find that there's a club in a set that just doesn't match the rest of the build. And we might need to pull it apart and replace the shaft and, and rebuild it to where it falls in line with everything else. You know, it happens. Yeah. Well, one thing's for sure. The next time that you get to spend some time with a major winner doing a fitting, can you, can you call your boy so I can come tag along? Please? Well, well, sure. Yeah. If you want to come out to Scottsdale, buddy, let me know. We'll, uh, we'll get together and go out there and have a good old time. Let me know. I'll be there. All right. Well, that was insightful as always from the serial killer. I think with that, we should probably get into this week's interview. Had a chance to chat with Jacob Davidson. He is the PGA Tour Manager for Callaway Golf. 
beginning of the season, a lot of rogue ST talk. Um, also talked about Rom and Phil and Sam Burns. I mean, man, we talked about a bunch of pros and just kind of their, their testing process and kind of how they get acclimated to gear, what it's like to work with those guys on a regular basis. Xander was also in there. We were talking about Sam Burns actually popped in for a quick second during the interview. So you can hear him in the background. It's kind of fun. Jacob's all is a great interview. Enjoy it. All right, well, we're out in sunny SoCal. Jacob Davidson from Callaway. You got to be a pretty busy man this time of the year, I, I would figure. Like, new gear coming out. I mean, all right, first off, how much of the work are you doing before January with pros versus like a week like this? Like, how much are you fitting guys into, into new product at, at this time of the season? Yeah, well, well, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Always good to be here, um, especially in sunny San Diego this time of year. It's uh, uh, listen. I saw, I saw, I saw Orlando today, where they've got the PGA merchandise show going on. It's raining, and it oh. looks like it's probably like forty degrees. That like everybody's in parkas. So you and I got the uh, the better side of the coin, man. Yeah, yeah. So to answer your question, you know, it was big this year. We launched um, our new Rogue ST drivers in Maui this year, which is uh, typically we launch them at the American Express. So, you know, two weeks earlier, which presented a big challenge for us. Um, but, you know, the team started back way in, in really the early parts of December as products started rolling in. You know, we had a big challenge. We had 13 guys in Maui um, this year, which is as many guys as we've ever had. Um, and we knew going into Maui because it was, you know, the tournament of champions. We knew how many people were going to be there. Um, we had gotten word that Phil was going to play, which we were excited about. And so the numbers kind of added up that, hey, you know, we got an opportunity to win the driver count here, to win some other counts. And we're going to launch our product there. Um, why not? You know, let's make a, a big push to get everybody fully trained transitioned into the product so we worked hard um you know we we took our corn ferry truck down to the qbe believe it or not um down in in naples um because there's a couple of the guys that were playing in maui that we needed to see and so it was easier because they were kind of you know in game time mode and so it worked out good we worked hard to get these guys transitioned into maui had a good first week there got the product off to a hot start uh, won the driver count, won the fairway wood count, won the iron count, won the putter count, um, which, you know, I think all things considered would, would be exactly how you'd want to start the year launching products. So, um, but that was a testament of Kellen, Dean, um, you know, Simon, Greg, Joe Toulon, Tim, the entire team really working hard, you know, in a part of the year where, you know, the tour's off, it's our downtime, you know, you want to spend time at home with your family. Um, Doesn't always what, work out that no, way, though. but, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, the team really hustled hard to get it done, and I was proud of their efforts, and, um, you know, so we focused kind of seeding out originally to those guys and then you know after we got the Maui guys converted we started working on um the rest of our staff so you played you played college golf right I did University of North Florida swoop we got Sam Burns behind us here Sam Burns hello what's up Sam uh, <laughs> we are actually on the Callaway truck as we're doing this podcast so that's why Sam Burns is like hanging in the background for a second anyway so you, you play college golf, which always makes you wonder. I mean, obviously, it's important to get feedback from from the tour pros as you're as you're seeding new product and, and doing prototypes. But like, do you get a chance? Do you do you like hitting the product? Do you like how much are you actually testing it and kind of like seeing what it's doing? Yeah, I mean, 
early on we're testing all the prototypes um you know i think everyone on our tour team we we kind of have a unwritten rule that um you know we like to hit stuff before we give it to the guys mm-hmm. just so we can get a sense for how it's performing obviously we're not to the level they are but um i think it gives us a ba- basic understanding to describe the product um you know we'll get the wrenches out start turning them a little bit move some weight around see what happens so um you know our tour team is there's a lot of really good players um guys that played in college guys that played in professionally played in some usga championships um you know some guys that played on tour um you know mike sposa so um you know when we get together and and play um you know there's definitely some guinea pigs that um (laughs) you know we're trying to learn the product so um for sure yeah all right so every year i know you guys are excited new product rolls out what was it about this one early on that made you realize like all right, this this could be a special product because you and I've talked. In in listen, I've I've known you for a little bit now. You've you've been running tour out here, but I have to say I have not heard you this excited about <clears throat> about a product in, in maybe maybe ever. Like this this might be the most excited I've ever heard you. What what was it early on that made you guys go whoa? This this is like I think we got something here. Yeah, I you know early on as we started getting into the last couple prototypes, we were seeing some signals of some some really positive things um you know i think when we see that we we get excited but we want to see the final product um we knew that from a aesthetic standpoint um some of the changes that we made were going to be well received um you know we spent a lot of time over the last year really getting the feedback from the tour guys making sure the shaping was right making sure the finish was right making sure you know every little small detail um you know, the industrial design team internally, um, you know, led by Sean Toulon and his team, you know, making it look absolutely pleasing to the eye. So um, we knew we had that. But, um, you know, I think it really fast forwards to the first guy that hit the driver, um, you know, after two or three swings, he goes, man, when I look up, it's coming out of a different window. I I thought that ball should be a little bit further left or a little bit further right. Um, You know, and there's something that, you know, I think I've always said, um, ball speed is great. We have a competitive advantage in ball speed with jailbreak and, you know, AI and all that. We know that. Um, We've been kind of leading the industry in that charge for a while now. Um, But I think that, you know, there's one thing that will get the world's best players to switch quicker than ball speed and that's stability Um, because when they look up and they see a ball hanging in there it's a tighter window down range they will put in the bag immediately if it's a mile two miles an hour faster you know they're going to switch eventually but it may not be tomorrow yeah Uh, they're going to want to spend more time with it to learn that driver all of the tendencies to it but when guys start hitting in the center consistently and seeing tighter downrange dispersions and then they'll start looking at the speed numbers. But those are the two things that they look at first. And we saw that early on with the first guy, the second guy, and then, you know, um, other reps that were working with other players in different parts of the countries were reporting back the same thing. So we started seeing early signs that, hey, this is going to be a good driver. Um, And then the conversion rates just, you know, were the quickest we've ever seen. Um, And so we were excited about that. I think that the driver is – 
going to only continue to pick up momentum. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of people out here at Tory this week. Um, now that it's the second week that we've had the truck, we're starting to work with a lot more non-staff guys. We've had several guys that aren't on our staff come in the truck this week asking, hey, I played with so-and-so the last two weeks. And that's, again, when your players start telling other players how good the product is, mm -hmm. that's when, um, you know, you start to get a lot of positive momentum. And that's what we're seeing right now is our players, our staff players, are our biggest advocate right now. And so we're excited about that. What's, what's the conversion rate been early in the season? I, I remember you were saying it's, it's a pretty high clip for, I mean, I know it's early in the year and guys are, might be a little bit more inclined to switch because, you know, they're, they're not worried about a card yet, but it seemed like that number was pretty high. What's, what's kind of been the conversion from, I mean, it's like non-staff and staff yeah, guys that have been I mean, I think we're going to be, after this week, north of, of 80%, could be 85%, um, which is extremely high. I would say, you know, in the past, we're not hitting those numbers for several more weeks. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's guys are adapting to it really well. Um, and so far, you know, we're not having guys, um, you know, with any new product, when a guy's learning it, you know, they'll play it for a couple of weeks, then they may want to tweak it a little bit, but um, it's sticking in the bag pretty well so far, which what we're excited about. Who are the guys that you go and get feedback from early on during, during let's just say, driver testing? Do you have like two or three guys on staff that, that you all rely on just because their feedback or maybe they're really perceptive in, in the things that they pick up on do you do you have like a group of guys maybe i would even call them like guinea pigs yeah that you could have that would say hey hit the product and like let us know what you're what you're seeing feeling hearing i think there's you know we don't have specific guys um we try to be considerate of their time and we're testing um and we also don't you run the risk there's you know there's two parts to this you don't want a guy to be a guinea pig because if it doesn't go well, they're not going to have a good first impression of the yeah. product. Uh, but you also want to have tour feedback, you know, throughout the process to make mm -hmm. sure you get it right. So um, I think that for us, I guess you could say the guinea pigs were a couple guys that they didn't transition into epic speed. They were still playing a Callaway driver, previous model, um, you know, a guy like Kevin Kisner. Um, he's in the past, he's been stuck on this GBB, you know, driving is his bread and butter. Um, he knows everything about that driver. It's, you know, he didn't want to let go of it. Um, immediately at QBE, um, he liked this driver. So we go, wow. Are you skeptical though when he says I like something? Do you think maybe he's just kind of giving you a little bit of lip service because not, he has been playing that there's driver? There's no so? lip service with Kevin Kisner. <laughs> there's no lip service. You are right. There is no lip service. He's going to give it, he's, gonna, he's a straight shooter, about as straight as they come. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, you know, he. He liked it. Um, he went back home. He played with it. He sent a nice positive note to the team on Christmas, you know, with some some positive feedback. And so we felt pretty confident he was going to show up in Maui, um, and he did. He played well. Um, played well the last couple couple weeks. And so um, you know, other guys like um, Molinari, you know, he was in the Maverick driver, never transitioned that last um, into the Epic Speed model. Guy like Eric Van Royen. Um, was in the epic flash model didn't make the transition you know these are guys that have played really really good golf with their drivers um, and sometimes you know it might be slightly better here or there but um, they know that driver really well and so sometimes it's hard to get it out of their hands um, but those guys all converted right away and so we go man those are the guys that you know didn't convert and now they're converting again there's 
there's a signal here that this driver's performing very well. Um, and then we started seeing, you know, guys like Leishman start to pick up some ball speed, um, you know, at the QBE, um, you know, almost a mile and a half, two miles an hour faster. And so, um, you know, that led to some chatter kind of um, As it around the does. tour. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we're excited about that. I think it's, it's a, it's our as our marketing team uses, I think they summed up really well. It's our fastest, most stable driver we've ever made at Callaway. Um, and I think the tour is validating that very quickly out here. Is Kiz the biggest win for you? I mean, as, as like the head of tour to get him out of that GV driver. I mean, you would think it would be just, just simply because he's been so difficult to, to fit in a new product. You know, I think we, the one thing I love about Kevin is, is Kevin, anytime you test with him, he gives you 100% effort. And like you said earlier, he is, um, you know, brutally honest. Mm -hmm. And that is the, you know, that's the best person to test with. Um, and so I think, it, I think it's a win because Kevin's a great driver of the golf ball. Um, I think that, you know, he's very vocal. Um, and, you know, we've already heard from several players from Kevin, you know, talking about, well, obviously, if, if Kevin's moved into it, then it's a very good driver. So. And he's had a strong, couple of strong starts to, to the beginning of the year there at, at Century and in Sony. He had, I mean, we, I, I don't know, he was like top 10 first week and top three at, yep. at Sony. So, again, you know, it's not just that he likes the driver. He's, he's seen the results, it looks like. Sure, sure. So, you know, I think that... Yeah, it's, it's fun to get Kevin because I think that, you know, he's not scared to, to tell people his opinions and thoughts. And that's why we all love Kevin is because he's, you know, he's just a, he's a, you know what you're going to get. He's just a, you know, down to earth guy that, you know, that doesn't put any filter on anything. So, um, but I think, you know, the big guys transitioning, um, you know, Sam Burns was a tough one. Perfect example. You know, he came off this um great fall season um you know was driving it unbelievable had some other off-season commitments in december some things that kind of took away from his time so he wasn't able to kind of play and practice as much as he want wanted to his first time in maui and so we thought it just made sense as hey you know let's get you to maui um he's going to take a couple weeks off and then we'll be starting back here um historically he's always come in ahead of tory tested product in years past um and then put it in play and so we didn't want to change it up so he did that he came in um this this past weekend and dean from our team and, and him are really close and so um we work with brad paul and his coach and he's going to be putting it in the bag this week which we're excited about um and, and he absolutely loves it and um it was funny down at qbe when we were talking with sam um he said we had a driver and we he said well, what's this and we said it's it's your new ferrari <laughs> and he goes i'm already driving one so you know he was i think you know he was at what Jackson, he was plus six strokes gained off the tee. Yeah. So, um, but he really likes this, this driver and to get it out of his hand of someone that he would say, you can't make a better driver than the one I got now. And, mm. you know, for him to switch going into Tory, right. I mean, this is a very difficult driving week. Um, I think shows that, you know, he, he's believing in it. Yeah. What, what percentage of guys when you're working on product, which percentage of them comes the ECPC? For, for testing versus like you having to go to to them? It's a great question. I think in years past, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of guys didn't come to the ECPC, but we're starting to make it more of a priority just because of the um, amount of time and detail that we can get into now. Um, 
and you know we got a ton of guys that are in our golf ball so um, you know being able to have them hit the gamer balls um, be able to do all the building there and kind of just really spend a day doing you know performance combines tweaking the bags the way we look at it too is is hey come in spend a day let's get the bag dialed and then that's going to be our baseline to work off for the year um, and so I think that guys are just buying into that um, so it, it's definitely transitioned a lot more now so much so that um, you know Dean actually will spend the whole month of January um, at the ECPC because so many guys are coming in and out so um, you know in a perfect world it's it's easier to do it there because it's we have all of the resources right there um, versus you know unfortunately we can't just pull the truck up to every guy's house and so when we're doing <laughs> home visits um, you know a lot of times you leave a fitting close, but it's unfinished. Maybe you have to send something to, to you know, finalize it. Um, but when they come to ECPC, they're walking away um, with the exact clubs that they want. So one of the things that, that stood out when Xander was in Hawaii is he talked about, you know, basically he can, within two balls he knows if a driver's, you know, worth like continuing to test. And I thought, man, that just seems ridiculous. Like two golf balls. Although I've talked to Mark Leishman before and he said the same thing, you know, yeah. two to three golf balls. He can usually tell you if a driver's worth its salt. I mean, what, what's that? What is it? What kind of pressure does that put on you in the tour team when you really only have, you know, say two or three golf balls with a lot of these guys to, to kind of make an impression? Yeah, it, it is definitely. I mean, there's no doubt with tour guys, the first swing is the most important. Um, you know, you want to make sure that they're hitting it out of the center of the face. You want to make sure that, you know, the start line launch and spin is, is, is pretty darn near perfect. Um, you know, you can tweak the spin and loft a little bit, but you know, you want them to hit it the center of the face and you want the start line to be good. You know, you, everybody always knows about the dreaded shot of, you know, if you hit it left or right, like it's just, you're going to be swimming upstream from there. Yeah. So, um, you know, with our staffers, we feel pretty comfortable. We know exactly what they like. We obviously have all the historical specs, so we can line that up pretty good. Um, the, the interesting thing we're seeing this year um, is non-staff guys. I mean, just this week here at Tory, a non-staff guy, um, you know, we put, we built him up, we spec'd out his driver, put a new head on there, and I mean, immediately the first shot was right out of the center, perfect window, perfect spin. We didn't have to touch it. No internal glue, no turning of the wrench, no nothing. Um, you know, and, and we actually ran into him at dinner last night and, you know, he was talking about that, you know, how important that first shot was. He knew that, Hey, um, after that first swing, that was, I knew it was going to be a good fit. He picked up some other competitor drivers and, you know, the first swings weren't, um, as well, didn't go as well. So that's really important. It seems to become more and more important to guys, um, over the last couple of years. So it definitely makes, um, you know, our ability to work with them difficult because we know sometimes that, Hey, if that first swing doesn't go good, you know, these guys might have a bad first imp first impression of it. Yeah. How much is Phil going to ECPC when he's like testing, just say new driver product? Does, does he kind of do more of his testing on his own or does he does he like to come there and, and kind of get feedback or just, you know, use others as a sounding board? 
Yeah, he'll do a little bit of both. Um, you know, he works closely with Garrett uh, Pond at our ECPC. Um, Phil's got a practice facility at his house, as we know. Which is you always know, nice. Yeah, <laughs> a member at the farms. Uh, so he kind of jumps around. Uh, but I will tell you that there's not one person out here that does more testing than Phil. I mean, he is so in-depth. Um, you know, weather conditions, different places, you know, we'll, we'll go to the farms, we'll go to the ECPC, we'll go to his house, we'll go to this golf course, um, you know, to really fully test the product and see it in different environments, different conditions. He has certain holes that he wants to go out and see, um, you know, how the driver performs on that hole. And, and he has um, been very excited about this new driver. So. All right. I've been saving this one. John Rom. Yeah. So we were talking about Rom early in the year, and you told me a story that almost didn't seem, seem believable. And for those that didn't get a chance to read it on golf.com, I just I want you to talk about Rom's trip to ECPC for driver testing. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, you told me it was one of the most incredible things that you've ever seen. And I'll be honest, man, at first I'm like, there's no, there's no way, but Rom's so good with the, with the driver. So consistent. Can you can you yeah. just recall that story about what happened when he was there? Yeah, it was a it was a it was a cool day. It was a Sunday. Xander and Rom were both there, so we were you know. Any was that day. planned? Uh, no, not necessarily. <laughs> um, you know, we we'd kind of spread them out so that we could. You know, you always run the risk um, with these guys. Is you want all of them to make feel like they're the most important guy. Yeah, you, you know, you got and, some big names you on get your two roster. Two big name guys there. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't want to be going back and forth, um, working with each guy, you know, and one guy's waiting on the other. Um, so ended up being that they decided to come in, some flights got changed, um, and that they were going to be there and, and they're good friends, which was fine. It was on a Sunday. It was great. So it ended up working out good, but you know, with John, um, you know, Kellen does such a good job with him. Um, you know, we knew he'd hit some prototypes, um, we knew exactly what he was going to like triple diamond LS, the same head he had played the previous year. We knew the, you know, setup, Um, and so, you know, his first shot was very good right out of the center. Um, you know, didn't have to do a whole lot. Um, he hit, you know, the next nine or 10 shots in a row. Um, you know, that historically everyone knows his little shots of, you know, starts, three or four yards left of his target and moves left to right just a hair, you know, um, and you could just, it was like watching repeat over and over again. You know, he's in gym shorts and a t-shirt, you know, got his quater shoes on. Um, and you know, he just looked back and he goes, how many more do you need? Um, you know, and we're looking at the track man numbers and, um, you know, it's just center punch, center punch, um, you know, and then track man, the way it works is at the end of the summary of the 10 shots, it kind of gives you the, the range of spin, mm. um, you know, and they were all, um, within a hundred RPMs of each other. Um, and so it was just incredible. He obviously was swinging it really good that day. He swings it really good every day. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I think that a lot of it was, is the driver. Um, you know, again, we're talking about how stable it is. Um, I think a lot of it too is, um, you know, the consistency of our golf ball, um, for a lot of people that have known some of the investments that we've made in Chicopee is I think that, you know, what our golf ball team's done, what they're calling it, um, at retail now it's called precision technology. It's kind of been out on tour now, um, for a year prior to that, but you know, I don't think it's a, a sign that 
we had 13 wins, the most wins of anyone last year, and our players are playing their best. Guys like Kevin Na are switching into our golf ball, shooting 60. We're seeing signs that we do have a more consistent golf ball. Um, and with the x-ray scanning and, you know, a factory that's the most technological advanced over anybody else in the industry right now. And, you know, that stuff matters. This is uh, out here. It's a game of, you know, inches that matter. And I know we've talked about this before, the difference between a guy that um, is ranked, you know, 50 or 60th and uh, strokes gained or proximity to the hole from 150 to 175 yards. And the guy that's number one or top 10 could be as little as two feet. Um, and so when you're able to tighten up those manufacturing tolerances in golf ball and give a guy um, the same golf ball every time to where um, that ball is flying more consistent, they're going to see the differences. Um, and I truly believe that, you know, what our internal R&D team has done under, you know, the leadership of guys like Eric Loper in golf ball and Alan Hawk now and Evan Gibbs and those guys, not only in golf ball, but you know, drivers, um, you know, we're starting to see signal signals that our guys are playing better, which means, um, these things are starting to resonate. And I think that, you know, the consumers are going to see that this year too, as well. And we're excited about, um, you know, them being able to buy triple diamond LS drivers that John Rahm's playing. So to say that was, that's always something, you know, as consumers, they always complain because they see, you know, the pros playing something and it's like, man, why can't I? Why can't I play that? And as you yeah. mentioned, you know they can actually now play the same driver that that Rom has in the back. And I think you know I'll never forget you know Chip Brewer, who we all respect, and you know in my opinion is will probably go down as the greatest CEO of any golf company in the world. And what he's done at Callaway from when he got there and to you know turning us into a five billion dollar company already, and the market shares that we've had, and um, you know I think. When I first met with him, he told me something. I'll never forget this. And I think you always got to go back to this is product is king. And, you know, he walks around the building and preaches this product is king. Product is king. Product is king. You can market it. You can have a good marketing story. You can fool people for a year or two. But guess what? Product will always win in the end. Performance matters. Guys will gravitate towards the best product. And I think that, you know, that's what we're seeing is, you know, product is getting better it's gotten better it's you know we're starting to see guys leave companies that they've been with for a long time and they're moving over um to callaway and they're playing better and they're winning and you know that's ultimately that fixes a lot of the problems is, is when guys are winning so we're yeah. excited about that yeah going back to rom i you know he's used that all Tour green shaft in his driver for eons with with a guy like that who has, and I just use Robin as a, as an example, who has a shaft that he's like, look, I'm not changing this. Like this is it. You're gonna have to, to work. Is it easier or more difficult when you kind of already have one of the like pieces of the driver puzzle in this case, like in place? Is it easier or more difficult to to build a driver? It's definitely easier. Um, I think anytime you go into fitting, your your first goal is to always eliminate variables mm. um, you know if you start if you start having too many variables it becomes diff difficult to figure out okay is it a shaft issue is it a head issue you know is it a length issue so um, you know we always try to start um, by introducing one variable at a time um, you know kind of ROM 
he's not changing that shaft. He loves that shaft. He's played great with that shaft. Um, he's made that very clear. We don't want him to change it. Um, you know, if for some reason down the road, you know, he wants to across that bridge, we can. Um, but take a, you know, shift over to Xander a little bit earlier um, in the fall. We did some shaft testing with him. Um, he had played that graphite design shaft for a long time. Um, but, you know, over the course of the year, we've been tracking him. He's gotten faster. He's focused a lot on his speed. We were starting to see some things that, you know, we go, you know, maybe we need to look at a shaft, even though he's played that shaft forever as well. Um, Xander's not the same person he was physically. Right. He's made some changes in his golf swing, made some changes on his speed. So we specifically set aside a day. Um, he came out with his dad, his instructor, um, his, his caddy, Austin Kaiser. Tim was there. Kellen was there. Um, Dean was there and we set aside a, a couple hours and we just said we're gonna do shaft testing only we're gonna keep the the variable of the head the same um, it was an epic speed product and we had done a bunch of research um, on shafts and we had them all lined up and we did shaft testing and you know he ended up making a, a switch and shaft it was performing better and then from there you know that was nice to get that out of the way before we had to go fit them yeah. for um, the Rogue ST product because it would have been challenging. We wouldn't have been able to do it, like you said, in two or three swings yeah, if yeah. we were trying to do the shaft yeah. and the head. But, um, you know, he was able to go play that shaft. Xander was at the Bahamas. Um, so he got some reps in it um, in competition and, and liked it. So we knew going into the Rogue ST fitting is, hey, this was going to be the shaft. So, All right, we've talked a ton about the driver, but I, I want to know about the fairway as well. Where kind of where where are you on like the tour side? What are guys thinking about with the fairway woods? Have you seen some conversions? Um, just kind of where where are you at with that one? Yeah, the 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 fairway woods. I think they're going to be um, probably the hottest fairway woods out here this year. Um, they made some some great changes to it. I think with any fairway wood, guys, you know, always struggle on the shot where they hit it a little bit thin or on the bottom of the face, it kind of, you know, gets a little bit high and spinny to the right. So, um, you know, the R&D team worked really hard this this past year on, um, you know, figuring out how to to make that, that miss not as drastic, um, you know, and, and that really led them down the path of, you know, moving a tungsten weight more forward um, that just allows that club not to react as severely. Um, you know, we did a great job on just the, the symmetric shape of the top line, the scoring lines, the shaping, everything just sits really square. Um, and kind of the feedback from the guys out here on tour is, you know, they feel like they're easier to launch. Um, they're consistently hitting it. Uh, more in the center off the ground um, and so so far it's been really well received out here um, you know each week we're seeing more and more of them go and play um, I think that you know typically you start to see the west coast swing guys will focus primarily on drivers yeah. and then kind of come Florida they'll start worrying more about fairway woods and stuff like that. So I think we'll continue to build on that. But um, I'm excited about the fairway woods. They look really good. They've been performing very well. Um, and we've had a ton of them go and play already. Awesome. Jacob, always appreciate it, man. Always fun. Thanks, Jonathan. And that'll do it for episode 126 of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want that gear news, check us out on social media. We're at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram, at Fully underscore Equipped on Twitter. We got a pretty decent interview coming up. 
let's tease it a little bit. We got a we got a, a multi-time major winner on tap. Guy who changed gear recently, former number one, kind of a big name. Maybe kind changed his hair color recently. Hang around for next week. I, I, th- I think you're going to like this interview. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you around. <laughs>